We are going to be in Genesis chapter uh, 39. Genesis chapter 39, as you're turning your Bible there. A smuggler meets up with a client, and he has a paper towel on his head. The client looks at him and asks, he says, what's up with the paper towel? The smuggler says, ah, I've got a bounty on me head. <laughs> Some of you are slowly getting it. Got a bounty on my head, Craig. See? Amen. <laughs> you know y'all going to repeat that tomorrow. Last week, in our journey with Joseph, we, uh, we started talking about a, a subject that has no respect of age, it has no respect of gender, and it has no respect of profession. And we're talking about temptation. It's a subject that affects every single one of us. As Christians, we're not exempt. Amen? Temptation affects all of us. And we, we looked at the fact that there's really three main uh, sources, three main forms of temptation. The first is material temptation. That is the luster or desire for, for things, material things. Now remember, they can be big or small. Big as a mansion or small as a ring. Then we also have, you know, personal temptation. That is the desire or lust for power, for authority for titles. Amen? We are in a day of big egos, big pride, and we have such a focus on titles. And the third, and this is, this is the one that in our journey with Joseph we're going to be looking the most at, and that is sexual temptation. That is the, uh, the lust or desire for sex or sensual pleasure. Amen? And the important part of that is it's that, it's that desire for sensual pleasure with someone that is not ours, whether morally or legally. So when we're talking about sexual temptation, that's what we're talking about. And again, in our uh, study with, uh, with Joseph, the life of Joseph, we're going to be really concentrated on that, on that third form, sexual temptation. Now, when we left off last week, we considered all the adjustments that this young man Joseph had to make. Again, he was in a foreign land, had to learn a foreign language, had to learn a foreign culture, and he's in someone else's home, and now he is a servant instead of the one being waited on. He had to do a lot of adjustments. A young man who found favor in the eyes of God and in the hands of God. He was very successful, he was very powerful, and the Bible says he was very good-looking as well. Amen? All of which catches the wondering eye of his master's wife, Potiphar's wife. Let's pick up Genesis 39, right in verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. 
So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him, Potiphar made Joseph overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. So it was from that time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, and all that he had, that the Lord, uh, or all, and all, um, and the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in his house and in his field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her, to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was inside, that she caught him by his garment, saying, Once again, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand, and he fled, and he ran outside. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has uh, brought in to us a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me, and he fled outside. Now, remember, to be tempted is not a sin. Amen? Jesus himself was tempted. Tempted on multiple occasions. The temptation is not the sin. When we are tempted, remember, we have a choice, don't we? We always have a choice to make. We either resist and flee, or we yield and we give in to it. One, of, one or two of, uh, uh, just one or, uh, we, there's two choices, we choose one or the other. Now, if we choose to yield into that sin, if we, or into that temptation, if we choose to yield to that temptation, that's when it becomes a sin. But being tempted in and of itself is not a sin. Now, remember what we looked at in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. God says that no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. So God is removing all excuses. We can't say, well, you know, no one else has ever gone through this temptation and it was too great. So God removes all that. He says what you're going through is common to man. Secondly, he says, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. God will never allow more temptation before us than what we are able to resist. Amen? That is a great promise, isn't it? God will never allow more than we can resist. And then he concludes, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. 
great promise there, isn't it? God tells us first and foremost that we're not, we're not, we're not undergoing any temptation that's, number one, more than we can handle. It's not unique to us. But on top of that, he said, I will give you a way of escape with every single temptation. Amen? So, in our text here, we see that Joseph, he overcame those temptations by fleeing. Amen? He resisted. He literally ran away from them. I want to look at an important piece of scripture, and it's the very first psalm, Psalm 1-1 in the Bible. It said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Now, in that psalm, you're going to notice there's a progression. Do you see it? Walking, then standing, and then before you know it, sitting. This is the progression of yielding to temptation. This is the progression of how it happens. First, you know, we start off walking by, but with curiosity, don't we? We're walking by, but we're, we're paying attention. Next, we find ourselves standing and watching. Standing and watching. Ignoring the storm of temptation that is just building all around us. And we try to justify it, don't we? Uh, I'm just watching. I'm not touching. I'm just watching. I'm okay. It's fine. Then before we know it, we find ourselves sitting smack dab right in the middle of sin. This is the progression of how we yield and how we give in to temptation. Starts off by just casually walking by with curiosity. Then we find ourselves standing, making excuses. And then before we know it, we're sitting right in the middle of the sin. So how do, we, how do we avoid this progression? How do we resist temptation? We have to follow Joseph's example. What did he do when temptation came? He immediately left. Did he casually walk out? What does the Bible say? It says he ran and fled. He literally ran from that temptation. He didn't walk by it, you know, rubbernecking, checking things out with curiosity. He immediately ran away and he fled from it. We have to do the same. We have to understand that our flesh is too weak to resist. Amen? Our flesh is way too weak. So let's dig in a little bit deeper. Let's dig in a little bit deeper and see how he was able to flee. Well, look at verse 8. It says, But he refused, and he said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. 
There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept anything back from me but you. First, he was loyal to his master, wasn't he? He was loyal to his master. He was there to work and to serve his master. Potiphar had been, you know, he held nothing back. Everything that he had in his house, Joseph had access to, except one thing. Kind of sounds familiar back to Genesis chapter 1, doesn't it? God put Adam and Eve in this beautiful garden. Thousands and thousands of different uh, varieties of fruit and vegetables, anything they wanted to eat, held back what? Just one thing, right? Same here. Joseph had access to everything in the house, everything on the property, except one thing, and that was his wife. Secondly, not only was he loyal to his master, but he was also loyal to his heavenly father. He was loyal to the Lord. Finish up verse 9. He said, he held nothing back but you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against who? God. Amen? Sin against God. He was loyal to God. He saw sin for what it was. He called it a, what does he call it here? He said a great wickedness. He's called sin for what it was, a great wickedness. Amen? He didn't obey God out of obligation. Right? There's too many so-called Christians out there that, you know, I've got to get up and go to church today. Ugh. Right? That's out of obligation. You know what God would rather you do? He'd rather you stay home if that's your attitude. Amen? We don't serve God out of uh, obligation. We serve God because he loves us and we want to love him back and show him how much we love him back. Our gathering together and worshiping him is our way of showing him, look, Lord, we love you back. Amen. Our small way. He loved his Lord and he wanted to obey him. He wanted to please him. Now, when we think about all this, we, we really need to keep it all into perspective, right? Joseph, he wasn't a machine. He wasn't a robot. He wasn't an old prude. He was a young man in his 20s. And this was not just one temptation. The Bible tells us that he was tempted over and over and over day after day. And they were all alone in the house. No one else was around. No one else would have seen them. No one else would have known. But Joseph knew there was one other that would know. Amen? He knew that God sees all. He knew that his Lord was with him. He knew that his Lord sees everything, even those secret things that we think we're hiding from one another. Amen. God sees all. And most importantly, God was real to Joseph. He wasn't just a nice idea. 
You know, he didn't just have nice words that we can, you know, put on his refrigerator. God was real to Joseph. Amen. Joseph called this temptation a great wickedness. And then he resisted and he fled. He literally ran away. Thank goodness that was over, right? Temptation came, he resisted, now it's all over, right? Nope. Verse 10. So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day. That means every single day she came after him. Day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. Listen. We have to be very careful not to fall into the snare and believe that that temptation is is a one-and-done type of thing. We get temptation, we resist, it's done, it's all over, right? That's not how it is. The truth is that once you resist, you actually become the challenge, right? Now become a challenge. The tempter or temptress will actually desire you more now. Potiphar's wife, she didn't want a soft little weakling, did she? She wanted a strong, secure, successful young man, and that's what she saw in Joseph. And when Joseph resisted, he then became that forbidden fruit. He became her challenge. And she kept coming after him, the Bible says, day after day. He became her conquest at that point. Again, we we all have that same propensity for desire, for lust in the flesh. Amen? Amen? Deep down in our flesh, we have that raging fire just laying dormant, waiting for that smallest spark to ignite it. Turn your Bibles to the book of James. James chapter 1, skip down to verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, when we give in, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. That's it in a nutshell, isn't it? That's our propensity to sin right in a nutshell. You see, in the flesh, we have, we have two things going against us, right? We have that in, embedded desire in the flesh, and then we have that enticing bait dangled all around us every single day. Amen? I mean, you can't even watch TV and see, you see a commercial for, you know, a hamburger with a girl wearing a thong bikini. You think, how do they go together? 
But it's that old advertising adage, right? Sex sells. And that's where we're bombarded with it every single day, almost every hour of the day. So we have that embedded desire in our flesh, and then we have that bait that's dangled around us all day long. We're flooded with temptation every single day. From sex to shopping, it doesn't matter. Every addiction is exploited. Whether it's on TV, on the internet, magazines, it doesn't matter. Every possible addiction in the flesh is exploited. For Joseph, as we, as we see in our text, Potiphar's wife, she dangled the bait day after day after day. And what was Joseph's response? He fled. He did not heed to her to lie with her or to be with her. <clears throat> Verse 11. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were inside, that she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and he fled and he ran outside. What we see here is that Joseph, he gives us that perfect model response on how to respond to temptation. Amen? How to yield to temptation. Joseph shows us right here. Notice he didn't reason with it. Amen? We have to be very careful not to reason with it. He didn't think upon it. He didn't claim a verse over it. What did he do? He just flat out ran. Amen? He flat out ran from it. We cannot yield to it if we're running away from it, can we? Amen? We can't yield to temptation if we turn and run in the opposite direction. Joseph ran leaving Potiphar's wife standing all alone with his coat in her hand. Now she's furious. How dare you reject me, is her attitude. You ever heard that saying, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned? <laughs> this is a woman scorned. Amen? Potiphar's wife was furious. So Joseph does everything right. His trial's over now, right? He made the right decision. He didn't yield. He ran. Everything's good, right? Let's keep reading. Verse 13. And so it was when she saw that he left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of the house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought, uh, brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me, and he fled 
and he went outside. Joseph did everything right. But now we see Potiphar's wife begins to create a lie against him. She cried out with a loud voice, the Bible says. Literally means she did what? She screamed. And I'm going to tell you something, that wasn't for fear. That was a scream of rage from being rejected. Amen? She was furious that this young man would reject her. And now she begins to make up a lie. Now, I want to add a little comment here. When it comes to yielding and giving in to temptation, now, I want to specifically talk about sexual temptation. There is one title that carries a much heavier consequence than any other. A title that scars much deeper than any other. A title that attracts much more criticism and a much quicker judgment than any other title. And that title is Christian. Amen? When a Christian gives in to sexual temptation, it is plastered everywhere, isn't it? The news media, every possible outlet. When a Christian yields to sexual temptation, the implications are just astronomical. They're so much farther reaching than anyone else. The pain is magnified, and the consequences are absolutely devastating. And that applies to both families, their immediate family and also their church family. Amen? It applies to both. Now, I don't know about you, but every time I study the life of Joseph and I get to this point where Joseph, day after day, he resisted and he resisted and he resisted the temptation. I can't help but think, Lord, bless this young man. Bless him now for being faithful. Reward him. But God chooses not to at this point in time. We have to understand that God allowed this temptation into Joseph's life for a reason. And as we see, God's going to allow some more trials into this young man's life. God is working behind the scenes. He is molding this young man into the image of Christ. So although we're in the flesh and, and we see it from our perspective, God sees it from a perfect perspective. And although we're saying, God, reward him, reward him now, God is saying, hold on a minute, I'm not done. You see, God's not done with Joseph yet. Joseph was absolutely, completely innocent. But Potiphar's wife builds this lie against him. Let's pick up in verse 16. So she kept his garment with her until the master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought, you notice she keeps saying that? You, he brought, you brought. This Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came in to me to mock me. 
And so it happened, as I lifted up my voice and cried out, that he left his garment with me and he fled outside. And so it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And Joseph was there in the prison. So let me tie all these things together this morning. Temptation is something that, you know, we all understand. It's something that we can all relate to. We've all experienced it in one form or another, whether it was personal temptation, material temptation, sexual temptation. We've all experienced it. Now, when it comes to resisting temptation, I want to I leave you with a couple points here. First, we cannot allow our situation to weaken us. For Joseph, it was a positive situation. Joseph was financially secure. He was well-respected. He was highly favored. And he was promoted to the top. He was young. He was successful. He was good-looking. But he never allowed his success to weaken his faith. Amen? We have to do the same if we're ever put in a position of authority. Secondly, We cannot allow persuasion to deceive us. The tempter or the temptress will tell us exactly what we want to hear at the exact time that we needed to hear it. Amen? They will pump up your ego. ego. They're going to hit you when you're at your weakest. Maybe you're going through something, and that's where they're going to prey on you. When we're the most vulnerable, but we can't be deceived. We can't believe the persuasive lies. Thirdly, we can't be soft when we're dealing with temptation. Amen? We can't be soft. Joseph refused it. He called it a great wickedness. And then he literally physically ran away from it. He never candy-coated it. And he never candy-coated his conversation with Potiphar's wife, did he? Notice their interaction. It says day by day he resisted, flat-out resisted. And we we can't treat temptation. I know this sounds like a contradiction for a Christian, but we can't treat temptation with kindness. Amen? We can't treat it with gentleness. We treat each other that way, but not temptation. And lastly, the fourth point I want to end with is that we cannot allow short-term results to confuse us. For Joseph, this poor kid, he did everything right, didn't he? Made every right decision. But the immediate short-term result, he was lied upon. He's falsely accused And then he's thrown into prison. But we cannot allow the situation to confuse whether or not we did the right thing. Amen? Don't get caught up and tripped up 
with that defeated attitude that says, well, you know, if I knew this was going to happen, and I would have just laid with her. I would have slept with her, right? No one would have ever known, and I would have stayed out of jail. Can't be deceived and tripped up by short-term consequences, short-term results. Amen? We need to understand that we, we're in it for the long haul, aren't we? We're not a child of, of God by the hour, by the day. We're a child of God for eternity. We're in it for the long haul. So we can't let these immediate short-term results cloud our perspective. You see, God did not leave Joseph, and God never left his circumstances. Amen? And he's going to be with us through it all as well. You know, sometimes doing the right thing, it's going to come with a cost. You may lose your job. You may lose a friend. Sometimes doing the right thing will carry a heavy cost. But we owe it to our character. We owe it to our family. And most importantly, we owe it to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to resist temptation regardless of the consequences.